Good morning. Good morning. Happy to see you here this morning. I got here early this morning and it was dry. I looked out the door a few weeks, a few hours later, and I saw ice on the porch. So I got the salt out and put ice on the porch, and a couple hours later I looked out and it's just all wet. So who knows what we're going to have by the time we're done today, except we're just simply going to enjoy our time here. Amen. Had a good day yesterday. We attended that funeral for Brother Mike Smith, and it was a real blessing to have people talk about him and the impact of what the Lord has done in his life. Uh, he came to Faithway Baptist Church not long after he had been saved. And uh, he probably came there about a year before I began to associate with Dr. Phillips. And uh, he was bothered in his life with this idea of how can I know for sure that I'm saved. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a real problem with that necessarily, but he did. And some people do. How do I know that I'm saved? And Pastor Phillips took some time to deal with him very patiently because he was a new Christian. And he got the victory just simply from a verse of Scripture. I'm going to give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Amen. He got hold of that, and God wonderfully used him over the years. And I sat there yesterday, and I met a lot of people that um, I'd had as a student, as a teacher over there. One little lady came up to me and said, you were my speech teacher. And I said, when were I your speech teacher? Oh, I said, you were at the college and you taught me speech class and I thoroughly enjoyed your class. Well, I'm glad that, but I didn't know her from Adam. I couldn't remember her at all, you know. And then to see other folks that were there that have known Mike a long time and to hear their testimonies. Uh, Mike, uh, since a lot of you don't know him, he worked full-time for Ford Motor Company as uh, an inspector and special parts area. And... Uh, then he, he started coming to the Bible Institute program that we started in the 60s, which became Faithway Baptist College. Uh, one day, uh, Pastor Phillips came to me and said, you know, I, I wish Mike would do a little more in his education, said he could be a man that we could use for God. So I stopped Mike in the hallway one day. I said, Brother Mike, I said, you ever consider about going to college? I said, I think Pastor would like you to get your degree. And he said, all right, all right, I'll do that. And so he worked full-time for Ford Motor Company and became a full-time student. Now, not only that, he was a faithful bus driver, rode a, church, rode a church bus up from his house in Maybe and drove all the way up here, picked up young people on the way and then took them back after church. And he was back on Sunday night. And all that, he still found time to be a full-time father. And what a blessing it was to be able to be there for the time of fellowship yesterday. Uh, things like Mike Smith don't happen by accident. There's a plan of God, and God has a plan for our lives. And when we understand what he wants us to do and teaches us how to do it, you'd be surprised what God can do to a person who's committed to that in their life. Here in the 12th chapter of, the, of this book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some very simple things or basic things about the Christian life. They're not everything about the Christian life. There are only a certain number of them here. We have to go elsewhere for others. But there are certain basic truths. There are certain basic guidelines. And when you get them operating in your life, uh, you may be able to reach a greater potential in your life to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was what Mike was all about. Kind of get the idea that we need to be self-disciplined as we listen to all these things. 
Maybe you've asked the question in anticipation of the question that you might ask, which might be this, how in the world do I get self-discipline? Uh, let me first of all say that it's a, not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Self-discipline is not easy. It takes, listen to this. Here's a terrible three-letter word for some people. It takes W-O-R-K. Some people are afraid of that. It takes, it takes work. That's, that's where you've got to get started. You've got to work at it. So looking back to where we've been the last couple of weeks here, I come up with several ideas that I could share with you. And basically they're simple. They're very simplistic. But nonetheless, when they're operative in your life, you're going to find out there's going to be a blessing to your life. How do you become self-disciplined? Well, listen to this. First of all, you're not going to find a single verse in the Bible to deal just with every area of discipline. But looking through it, beginning from verses 9 to 21, there's some things that I can see that I've tried to strive for in my own life that maybe they will help you in your life. For instance, number one, I would suggest that you start very small in your life. I say that for two reasons. Number one, you might be a, you might be a just very entry-level entry Christian. You might be a new Christian. Uh, you might be an older new Christian. And uh, you, uh, you came to Christ later in your years, so you might be without any of this discipline whatsoever. Or, I would say this to young people, you're never too old to learn self-discipline. So whether you're on, young or old, you've got to start as quick as you can, as soon as you can, but you have to do it really in just small increments. For instance, uh, you start with one idea about your heart got to understand your heart. Uh, you try to keep it clean. You learn what it means to confess your sin and how to, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you miss this idea, how you, can, how you can ignore the Holy Spirit, you can overrule him in your heart, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. When you understand you can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can, you can sometimes sense why in the world you feel so lousy. Because you're neglecting the one who has given you as a gift, as a down payment of your inheritance in heaven, and he listens to you all the time. And if you're not going to listen to him, he's going to be grieved. And if he's going to be grieved, you're going to be grieved. You're going to be grieved because the Holy Spirit's grieved. Number two, he's going to discipline you in your life. So if you begin to learn very early, listen, you keep a short account with God. You go to him and take care on a daily or moment-by-moment -moment basis your, your heart. You keep it clean. Uh, it's like if you, something is dirty in there, something's not right, clean it up. Clean it up. If something's out of place, you put it back in place. Uh, I guess you say it's like teaching how to keep things in order, right? You're trying to keep your heart in order, too. So if something is not where it's supposed to be, say it's on the floor, you pick it up and you put it away. You learn to do things. You know, you go to your house and uh, no, you don't have to grin about that. You know, maybe you don't want people to come to your house. Uh, I've been in some homes that there is no semblance of any type of order. And believe me, it's a shock. I've seen how some people can be hoarders. Have you heard about them? Hoarders. Save everything. I've gone into homes where they've got newspapers stacked to the ceiling. They got, they've got books. Uh, I've seen houses where people don't take their groceries out of bags. They just leave their groceries in bags. And they just eat out of the bags. And... If they go get new groceries, they set the new groceries on top of the old groceries. And that's the way it is. It's a terrible way to live. And no wonder people 
don't want to go over. I was in a house one day and I come out itching, wondering if I was getting attacked by roaches while I was in there. I tell you, I don't like roaches, let alone a great deal of mess or much mess at all. Little messes I can get away with, you know. But learn how to how to how to get things in, in an order, you know. Start little. Uh, let me give you a principle. Another one. Learn to be on time. Oh, I've said that so many. You just learn to be on time. Uh, I went to public school system, had to ride the bus. We got in trouble if we were late for school. In a public school. Now, maybe you don't get in trouble for that day. I don't know how much how public school operates, but I know how Christian schools operate. When I graduated high school, got on a bus and went to Bob Jones University, man, they, they ran on military-style time. You, you hit the floor when the bell rang, and if your feet were not on the floor when the second bell rang, you got demerits. You had so many minutes to get to class. You had so many, so many minutes in order to get to the dining hall. The dining hall was a uh, half mile away from my dormitory. So you had to hoof it up there, get in line, and make sure you were in place when the hymn started. If you weren't in place, you got demerits for being late for any meal you were for. And then you had to eat your, eat your meal and get it done, and get it done within the allotted time. None of this tearing and gabbing and so forth. Get it in, hoof it down, because when the bell rings, Everything is done. You're finished. You're toast. You've got to get out of there and get to class. So it's hustle, 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 hustle all day long. Then there comes a time study hour. No radios, no music, no nothing. You had to hit the practice shacks. You had to practice shacks. That's where you practice your music and speeches and so forth. Or you are quiet in your room and you were studying. Or you hit up to the library and got up there and studied and worked. Then you had to be back in the dormitory, and at a certain time at night, at, at 10.30 at night, you had devotions, group devotions, or room devotion, or group devotion, usually four rooms together. And uh, that ended when a bell went off. When that bell went off, you had so many minutes to get ready and cleaned up and ready for bed and to be in bed. The second bell went off, you better get into bed. The first bell, bell. when the second bell sounds, you better be in that bed, your feet not on the floor, because if your feet are on the floor, you get demerits for it. Now, that's like that all the time. You guys been in the military. No, there are certain things you do it and you do it with, here's the word, precision, precision. It's discipline. You, you'll learn that I've got to be at a certain place on time. Now, I don't believe you ought to be on time. I think that's a bad practice to say, I want to be on time. The best practice is you want to be there ahead of time. Because if you're there ahead of time, anything that could happen between the time you were supposed to be there ahead of time and you were planning to be there and something happened in that intermediate time, you just might end up being on time. You understand? There are things that happen, slow you down, so forth. You learn to be on time. Doesn't sound like a scriptural, scriptural principle, but I believe it comes close to it. Uh, because, you know, you've got to... Subjugate your desires. Uh, all of us have different activities we, we do. Some of those activities, they can pull at you. They might keep you from being where you're supposed to be. So you do things like clean up your mess, be on time in order to create a self-discipline. The third one that's really helped me is this. Uh, take the hardest job first. You got a lot of jobs to do. Take the hardest one first. 
Don't leave the hardest one till the end because if you leave it till the end, you're going to not feel like doing the hardest because you're tired doing everything else. Take the hardest things first. Now, in order to do that, number four, you've got to organize your life. You've got to organize your life. Uh, you'll learn that you plan. You just don't react to something that goes on. You plan. You plan so you don't have to react to things because you're planning to have things done and get it done. You might take a piece of paper and say, today I'm going to do this. Vicki's all the time saying to me, what are you going to do today? Or she'll say, and her favorite, her favorite thing to me is, write yourself a note. Write yourself a note. I don't like writing notes because I can't read my writing. And so she says, write yourself a note. I'm still working on trying to remember. Pray for me, people. I tell you, I don't like writing notes, but maybe you need to write a note. Today I'm going to do thus and such. I'll say, she'll say, what are you going to do today? Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, because there's certain things I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Of course, I know what I'm going to do on Sunday, unless I'm sick. No, I don't even think about being sick. I've heard that line so often. I'll preach or I'll be in church on Sunday if I'm not sick. They're the type of people who get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be sick today. I'm going to be sick today. I have a name that I associate with that for some people I learned, a long, learned it from a long time ago. They constantly would say, I'll be there if I'm not sick. It's almost like I'm planning on being sick and I just want you to know ahead of time. You don't plan to be sick. If you don't plan to be sick, you'll probably not be sick. Boy, see, you get that thing, you got that mindset in you that I'm going to keep this from keeping me from doing what God wants me to do. Then that, that is the place where you're walking in disobedience. You subject your desires. You, you, you learn to control them. And by the way, maybe you don't like that. So let me give you another one. Learn to appreciate. Learn to accept. Learn to be grateful for correction. Learn to be grateful for correction. The Bible says, The Lord scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye are without chastisement, then are ye bastards and not sons, says the writer of Hebrews. So we need to learn to, to appreciate the correction that comes our way because that makes us more disciplined because we know what we need to avoid. Am I here to make you miserable? I don't want you to be miserable. I want you to be joyous. I want you to, I want you to know the joy of walking in the Lord. But sometimes, no matter what's going on here, somebody's going to be down in the mouth, you know, foot and mouth disease, and they're going to be down. You know, that's why I learned to say to some people, don't say, how are you today? Because they're already down and they get off on their litany of how bad they feel, you know. I'm saying, listen, don't shun criticism, accept it. You learn to practice self-denial in a practical way. One of those practical ways is just not listen to your feelings. We all have them. It's like a good evangelist we had years ago used to call discouragement a luxury. He said, I refuse to enjoy the luxury of discouragement. Some people get, don't mind being discouraged because it keeps them from doing what they believe the Bible says they ought to do. But, you know, God will understand because I'm discouraged. No, he, he won't understand. You know why God won't understand? Because he said, don't let your heart be discouraged. 
Discouragement is a personal matter. You don't allow your feelings to get in the way of you living for the Lord. I, I've got to work at that. I've got to work at that. I tell young men, unless you know for certain that God has called you for the ministry, don't go into ministry. Because in the ministry, it's easy to get discouraged because you'll say jump and people won't jump. You'll say go through this hoop and they won't go through the hoops. I learned a long time ago, it's not up for me to get them to go through hoops. It's not for me to get them to jump. It's up for the Holy Spirit to minister the word of God to their heart and to convict them enough that they ought to know what they ought to do. You've got to work at it. By the way, we have a lot of, most of people here married. We do have some, we have a, a one or two widowers, but a number of widows. You know, if, if you're married, whether your mate is saved or not, you have to work with an unsaved mate. Or if both of you are saved, you've got to work together in order to accomplish the work for God. Now I say that as sincerely as I can because it's possible that one member of a saved group, a saved mom, a mom or dad, uh, a saved mate or lost mate, or one of them, will, even a saved mate, may keep the other one from doing what they ought to do maximally because the other one might be holding them back. Listen, ministry, if you're married, ought to be both you and your mate involved in ministry. It doesn't mean that you've got to officially teach a class, but you officially ought to be here. You, you officially ought to join in the Spirit. You together ought to enjoy together being here and singing and, and partaking in whatever activities we can do. Now, if you're single, quite frankly, you perhaps have a lot more time to work on that. And it's more difficult when you get married. Paul said, I, I wish that you were like me. I don't think Paul eventually was without a wife. And a person, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is single, has more opportunity and doesn't have the encumberment that a married couple have in serving the Lord. Now, how to get off on that? Well, that's my mind. It happens, all right. Cultivate self-restraint so that we learn how to bring things under control. Now, let me give you a verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. You know it very well. I just begin reading it and you'll know it. The Apostle Paul said that I keep my body under. I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest after I preach to others, I, shall, I myself should be cast away. He said, I, I, in other words, I fight my body. My body says, you need sleep. I fight that. And the older I get, the more it fights, you know. But he says, I... All right, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me. I'm getting a place anymore where I'll, I'll find myself not eating, and I'm not doing it intentionally. It's just that my mind is taken up with so many other things. I'm not eating. Now, that's not a good thing because I need to take in some intake, but uh, it hasn't really hurt me any. But see, Paul was dealing with the issue of his own life there in 1 Corinthians he thought, you know, I, I might be rejected or set on the, uh, the sidelines, uh, not in being able to run the play because I've not disciplined my life. 
And so he contended with himself. He denied himself. He brought his body into subjection to his spirit. And his spirit as well needed to be governed by the spirit of God. You know you are two spirits. You have the spirit of your, your nature in you, but you also have the Holy Spirit. You know about that. I'm sure the Apostle Paul had lived today. Uh, there'd be a certain group of people who exist today that would call Paul a legalist. Because Paul would say, look, this is what we need to do. We need to discipline our lives. And if you're not disciplining your life, you're not going to get anywhere for God. And people will say, well, that guy's a legalist, you know. Now, people who are like that usually are people who are conformed to the world. And the Apostle Paul wrote at the beginning of the chapter, don't be conformed to this world. You don't have to dress like the world. You don't have to do all the worldly activities in order to be accepted by the world. Is it more important to be accepted by the world or accepted by God? Well, we ought to obey God rather than men, said the disciples. And so we should too. We shouldn't have to fear what in the world they think about us. And along with all those other things, you might say this, welcome responsibility. Welcome responsibility. Young man said to his dad one day, Dad, I don't like going to such and such a school because all they do is talk about responsibilities and I don't like responsibilities. Ability, responsibility is the best ability. All right. Welcome responsibility. If you have an opportunity to do something that needs to be done, number one, just do it. If you have an opportunity to do something that needs to be done, just do it. You don't have to say, uh, pastor or deacon, I was down here and I did this. You don't have to tell anybody about it. If, you, if you're prone to do that, then you're going to look for somebody to pat you on the back. Just go ahead and do it. I tried to practice the same thing in my own life. Something needs to be done. I could call a phone call, make a phone call, say so-and-so, would you do this? But if it's with my power to do what needs to be done, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I want to do it with the right attitude. Now, if I grumble, grumble and complain about it, then my attitude is not right. But just find something to do. I mean, volunteer, accept responsibility, because responsibility focuses your attention on needing to be organized to carry out the responsibilities. It's just a simple thing. Now think about it. You start small, you clean your room, you clean your house, you clean your car, you try to be on time, you take the hardest time or task first and do it, you organize your life, be grateful that you've been corrected, practice self-denial or self-restraint and welcome responsibility. That's so important because it's the little things. It's the little foxes that destroy the vines can keep things from developing the way they need to in your life. Mom was all the time saying to us kids, clean your rooms. Chad, we were up on the second floor. My mom went up and down those stairs. I don't know how she did it. Up and down those stairs. Chad knows what I'm talking about. I was over to the house several weeks ago and I took Chad upstairs. I was amazed in the first place that I ever got upstairs. But number two, I had to come back downstairs. There were no side rails, never have been any side rails. And I thought the, the, the stairs were about this wide. They're only about this wide. So I turned around and come downstairs. I thought, I'm not going to be able to get downstairs. So I did what we did when I was a youngster. I sat down on my posterior and I went bump, 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 
bump until I got all the way to the bottom, and then I thought, I just hope I can get up and stand on my feet after bumping down the stairs, you know. <laughs> Mom did what she needed to do, and she wanted us to, to do the same thing. Why did Mom want us to clean our rooms? Uh, we didn't expect people to go up and look at those rooms. If you, you came to our house, we wouldn't have a sign outside of our house over where we live, and it says, come and look at Brooke's bedroom. Uh, she wouldn't want you to look in her bedroom, but if you did look in her bedroom, you would say, man, that bedroom is a neat bedroom. But we don't have to advertise that, you know. You don't have to come see Brooke's room. Now, the spare room, the study, I, you might want to question about going in there. I tried to keep the door closed. I believe in the old Proverbs that says one of the, one of the basic facts of having a happy marriage is let your husband have his own mess. All right. So my mess is organized. Uh, you understand that, don't you, brother? All right. It's organized. I'm not looking at your brother Waddell. I'm talking to my son-in-law back there. All right. Uh, these are just simple things about having a disciplined life, being on time. You're going to be there, so don't be late. Don't just be on time or be at time. All those things are just little kind of like nitpicking things that make a difference over a period of time. It's not difficult, really, to cultivate a disciplined spiritual life. In fact, some people look at it. And they say that only super-duper holy people can have super-disciplined lives. Listen, it's just a question of learning good habits and patterns for your life that develop a disciplined life. And really, all that just takes us back to our text, doesn't it? So, let's go back there for a moment. I just want to finish up where we were, were last week, and then I'll wrap it up this morning. Pumps Paul says, now look. When you get down to the nitty-gritty, you get down to where the rubber meets the road in your life, the practical principles are here. Uh, there are several areas. The first area is your own personal life, and it has to do with personal things, all right? And he lists some things there. Then he lists a second section that have to do with the Christian family. It makes a circle a little larger and say, now these are to include everybody else in your family or what you call the Christian family. And then you have a third area which encompasses everybody. Everybody. In fact, he's going to come to phase four where he's going to include how do you live with the lost? How do you do it? So you start with yourself, then your family, and then with all the other Christians, and then you end up, how do I live with my family, with my enemies, in order to have a disciplined life? Well, you remember verse, verse 9. It Basically, it deals with the first phase, personal. It says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Be the genuine kind of love. You hate what is evil, and really you stick to that which is good. Cleave to that which is good, like a husband cleaves to his wife, and the wife cleaves to her husband. Super gorilla glue. Nothing can tear us apart. Because you want to honor God with your life and in your love relationship. That's very personal. Three basic attitudes. Love genuinely, hate what's evil, hold fast that which is good. Those are the bottom line. That's a basic bottom line for having a disciplined life. Then the circle gets a little larger in verse 10 through verse 13 where the Apostle Paul says, Look, uh, 
Learn to embrace your Christian family. He says, you, you be kindly affectionate one to another with a brotherly love. Be brotherly, brotherly loved. Be working on that in your life. Why? Because they're part of the Christian family. I mean, a little kid might say, God bless mama, God bless daddy, God bless me, God bless sister and us four and no more. But you learn there are more to the Christian family than just the four of you, you know. You love people in the family of God. It's a very important element in Christian living. You learn how to discipline life, be gracious, be affectionate. And by the way, you demonstrate that. You demonstrate. If you're late, you're not being considerate of other people. That's not being affectionate. Being affectionate is being there ahead of time and starting on time and ending when you need to end. And Other than that, you just demonstrate your biblical love in maybe reaching out to help people with their needs. And then furthermore, in verse 10, he says, honor by preferring one above another. In other words, you love with humility. And um, like I've said before, and I'll say it again because it needs to be repeating, humility is not something you learn. You don't learn humility. God is the one who teaches you humility. He's the one who teaches me humility. And if we're not humble, God will work in our lives to humble us. I, I said before, if God wants you, if you're a round peg and he wants to get you in a square hole, he's going to trim you up so your round peg can fit in that square hole. Or if he puts you in a hole and you're too small to fit, he'll soak you in his grace until you swell in order to fit. God wants us to move amongst each other in humility. I can't stand up and say, Father, I humbly beseech you. Now, that's kind of like a, a bragamony. Somebody else might say, well, you watch sister so-and-so. She's a very humble person. She might not expect that. But if God is working in her life, she doesn't have to tell anybody that. They will recognize her as being a humble person. And quite frankly, none of us need to go out and flaunt our Christianity if it were super duper people. We're all special in God's work, but he's the one who gets the glory. So we don't make much of ourselves. So Paul says, don't do that. Just make, make much of other people. So I wrote this morning about the, the time I had with Mike Smith. You read it in the bulletin this morning. I close it by saying, you listen, you make much of God. He, might make, he may make something of you. And I say that because uh, Samuel was told by God, them that lightly esteemeth me shall be lightly esteemed, but he that highly esteemeth me is going to be esteemed. You realize if there's any exaltation, it comes from God. You don't, can't manufacture that. If you try to, you're going to set yourself up for a fall. Just say, I want to live for God. So in doing that, I'm going to honor other folks. Uh, one illustration I've taught before. Dr. G.B. Vick was a fantastic man. I've known, I known him since I was a youngster. And I've been with him, and we've had him for meetings at the other church we were at, you would think that he'd want to sit in the front seat. Not driving, but he'd sit in the front seat, so he'd sit on the passenger side. You know, uh, There's some, some people that they've got to sit there, they can't sit anywhere in the car. He would put the back seat back, go and sit in the back seat and let somebody else sit up front. i never known him to do otherwise. Why do we need the chief seats? Because we think that we're chief. 
Jesus said, listen, when you go to a meeting, don't go to the chief seats. Go to the low seat. Take a low seat. Now, somebody comes along and says, you know, we want you to come up and sit up here. Then, all right, that's all right. Go and sit up there. But if you take the high seat and somebody comes along who's really more important than you are, and they come and they say, well, we need to have you move and go sit down there, then you face the embarrassment because you have put yourself out there where you're not put yourself out in. Let somebody else exalt you. You'll take care of God. God might exalt you. So he says in verse 10, you in honor prefer one amongst them, one above another. That's a basic idea. And by the way, it's in a hurry to give honor to somebody, not reluctant. You know, would you sit here? Would you do this? Be in a hurry to give somebody the honor rather than give the honor to yourself. Then in verse 11, we saw three critical uh, commitments. And this is where we were last week. He says in verse 11, you, you don't want to be lazy when it comes to zeal. You don't want to be lazy. You want to be fervent, which is the idea of boiling in your spirit. And why should you do those two things? For the purpose of serving the Lord. It's not for the purpose of, hey, look at me. Don't let ever be the idea, hey, look at me. Look at Christ. Let him be the theme of your, all your motivation. Christ. Those things are so critical in the family of God. We learn not to be lazy. Uh, lazy. Lazy says, I'm going to let somebody else do it because I don't feel like doing it. And of course, the work is what? The work is serving the Lord. And it is W-O-R-K. Listen, the servant is not greater than his Lord. So don't think you're being, your life is being wasted because you Want, you're going to do some menial type of work, you know. It's serving the Lord. That's all about being disciplined. It's a life committed to loving. It's a life committed to hating evil and loving what's good and caring for each other and honoring each other. One of the themes that we tried to carry on for years at the Bible College and at the other church was, listen, we want to cultivate, cultivate servants. You learn to be a, very, a servant God may elevate you to do more than just being a servant. He might give you more opportunity to serve. Not that it's going to make much of you, but you make much of God. Who knows what God's going to give you if you learn to deal with responsibility. Some of you know the name C.T. Studd. Uh, he ended up pastoring as, after he retired from missionary work at a church up in uh, Toronto, Canada. But C.T. Studd had so much of the world's goods that basically he gave most of it away. And he wrote this. He said, quote, Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. He said, But I'd rather run a rescue, top, a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And you know what he did? He did. John Wesley, the famous Methodist, said, You know, quote, Give me a hundred men who love God with all their heart and fear nothing but sin, and I'll move the world. You know, the evangelists of his day were not the Baptists. They were the Methodists who were accomplishing things for God. Because he believed that. One day he was reading Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7. And he read, he maketh his ministers a flame of fire. Some of you go by and you see on the United Methodist Church. You see a, a, a Holy Spirit sign of a dove and maybe a flame of fire. You, you get it mixed up with what happened at Pentecost. No, no. Uh, was a fire that 
Wesley talked about. He wrote in his diary these words. He said, he wrote, quote, I, am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of things. Saturate me with the oil of thy spirit that I may be the flame. But flame is transient and often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul? Short life. Let me there dwell, let, let me dwell in the spirit of that great short-lived person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me be consumed for him. Make me the fuel, the flame of God. What a tremendous statement that he had for his life. A flame is what I want it to be, but flame doesn't burn very long. And if that's the way it has to be, then that's the way I want it. It's not, I'm going to reach a point and just give up and stop and let somebody else do. He identified himself with another one who lived a very short life. And that was his identification with Jesus Christ. That last line uh, he wrote in his diary. And when he said, make me thy fuel, flame of God. He got that from a poem written by Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael uh, wrote a song, a hymn. And the last stanza said, give me the love that leads the way. The faith that nothing can dismay. The hope no disappointments tire. A passion that will burn like fire. Let me sink to the clod. Make me thy fuel. Flame of God. People get attached to some great truth. Dr. Jones said, if you're going to accomplish anything, any man, any person who has ever done anything of consequence for God was captured by a divine truth. Bishop Ryle, that great pastor of Britain, wrote these words, quote, a zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It's not enough to say that he is earnest, Hearty, uncompromising, thoroughly going, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees only one thing he cares for, one thing he lives for, one thing. And he's swallowed up with one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he's rich or whether he's poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is in thought wise or whether he is thought foolish. Whether he gets the blame or whether he gets the praise. Whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame. For all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing. And that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he's consumed in it, the very burning, he cares not for us. He's content. He feels like that. Like a lamp, he is there, and he's burning up for Christ. If there was a divine pattern, he followed it. He was a man of one thing, to please God. Right of Hebrews said, I think concerning the Apostle Paul, he said this, thinking about Paul, he said, he's a, he's a man without care of making friends, without hope or desire of worldly good, without the apprehension of worldly loss, without the care of life, without fear of death. He is a man of no rank, country, or condition, a man of one thought, the gospel of Christ, a man of one purpose, the glory of God, a fool 
and content to be reckoned a fool for Christ. Let him be called an enthusiast, a fanatic, a babbler, or any other outlandish, nondescript the world may choose to, to not denominate him, but let him still be nondescript. As soon as they call him a traitor, a householder, a citizen, a man of wealth, a man of world, of the world, man of learning, or even a man of common sense, it is all over with his character. All over. He must speak or he must die. And though he should die, he will speak. He has no rest, but hastens over land and sea, over rocks and trackless deserts. He cries aloud and spares not and will not be hindered. In the prisons, he lifts up his voice. In the tempest of the ocean, he's not silent. Before awful councils and throned kings, he witnesses in behalf of the truth. Nothing can quench his voice but death. And even in the article of death, before the knife has severed his head from his body, he speaks, he prays, he testifies, he confesses. What a testimony for somebody to say that of the Apostle Paul. And he's right. They said that Paul was a babbler, but it didn't bother him. They said of him, he's a citizen of the world. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of learning and so forth. Paul would say, who cares what you think? It's not important what you think. I think what is the most important is what God thinks. Do you know that? The most important thing in your life is what does God think of you? Now, living a fervent life, as indicated in verse 11, is not just simply an easy thing. There's going to be certainly difficulties with that. But you have to live a self-disciplined life, a life of true love that hates evil and holds that which is good. You learn to reach out to others, prefer others, having a life that's not lazy, one that's fervent, a life that serves the Lord. Just try that. Just go ahead. I double-dog dare you to try it. And you know what you're going to find out? It's hard. It's hard. But wait, do you want the blessings of God? The blessings come because of, because of his grace, but you know, you need to cooperate with his will. Self-disciplined life. He rejoices in hope. He's patient in tribulation. He continues constant in prayer. I remember a good number of years after my heart surgery, and they alluded to this yesterday at the funeral. Mike and his wife were always together. They came to work together. They went home together. And uh, they were always together. She came with him to, to work one day. He was doing the work of working as a principal. And he disappeared. Well, he disappeared, but Livonia's still here. Uh, Livonia, where's Mike? I don't know where Mike is. You know where he was? He was having a heart attack. They thought, it, they thought it was, and Mike told me this, not only did they mention it yesterday, he was having a heart attack. And he believed seriously it was a heart attack. He took some Maalox and it didn't help him, but he got to the hospital and found out he was having a heart attack. So he had the hospital call his wife, who was at the church, and she had to find out from somebody else that he'd gone. He didn't want anybody to know he'd gone to the ER because he was having a heart attack because he didn't want anybody to fuss over him.
I tell you, when, when I'm going through something like that, I don't want a room full of people. I want to have some quiet time because I need to recover so I can get back to doing what I love doing, you know. But Mike was that kind of way. You go through times, and you might think, you know, I, what I'm doing is right before God, but the, the dividends are so minimal. I look at the years I've been in ministry, and I say, where's my impact? Well, I'm not sure I'm concerned about my impact as I'm concerned about God's impact. And God has impacted people's lives. Yeah, people can get discouraged. You need to fight that. But in those times, I need to learn and continue to practice this, rejoice in hope. Because it's basically, it's all the time being tough. But one of these days, it's not going to be tough anymore, is it? One of these days, we're going to be translated. We're not going to be here. The day is coming when we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of our efforts right now are going to come to an end. So don't mind paying the price now. In fact, I probably need to pay it more than what I am paying. But again, I don't think about that. I probably need to be more disciplined than I am. But I really don't think about that. I try to walk with the knowledge that God is walking with me and I want him to be operable in my life. So if I get disciplined over something, so what? I'm disciplined. If I learn discipline, I'll not have to repeat the lesson that I've gone through. I don't mind that because I know there's coming a day when it's all going to be over with and the rest forever will be in the presence of God. And I don't fuss over what am I going to do when I get to heaven. God doesn't tell us what we're going to do when we get to heaven. That monstrous place, 1,700 miles high, 1,700 miles square. And yet all the believed are going to be able to enter into that Wonderful city. That's like flying from New York City to Kansas City, Missouri. Then flying from down from there over to some place in Georgia and then flying back up. It's so vast. It's so high. It's so wide. And it's the home of the saved. Whatever we're going to be there, we're going to be rejoicing and praising God. That will be our full-time employment. We will serve Him. Until then... You and me have to work on developing self-discipline. And all of the older people said, oh me. <laughs> I know you do because I say, oh me too. Because it doesn't get any easier. But God wants us to be self-disciplined. I hope that helps you this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, it's precious to be able to be here. We could wish that where multitudes could hear what's being said and what's being preached in all of our services, but some people don't care. These people care. They're here, and we thank you for them and pray that the Word of God might find a resting place, a truth in their hearts. You said if my words abide in you, they get down in there and they rest in you, you can ask and get things that you need because you abide in him. And his words abide in you. Father, bless, we pray, a lesson this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.